Noah's back, back from vacation or working vacation. I don't know <laughs> what all you were up to. I know you, you filed some stories, but back in the studio with me, I'm Shane Metlin with Noah Fleischman. You're listening to the Purple and Bold podcast from the Daily News Record, talking JMU sports and got some things to talk about. It's uh, middle of July, but not really the dog days of summer for us right now because there's stuff happening, especially with JMU football recruiting. No, just give us the recap of the last week or so, maybe two weeks. I don't know how far we go back. It was, it was the start of July, basically, yeah. when things started happening here recently. They like, doubled the size of their recruiting class here recently, if yeah, I'm the not whole, mistaken. No, the recruiting class has, has gotten big. I mean, we can go back to, I guess, Tevin Tucker um, committing the week before the 4th of July, like that end of the week, that week, wide receiver from North Carolina. And then all of a sudden, the 4th of July happened, and JMU just picked up three recruits in one day, including um, including Daryl Dignohi, which, you know, he's probably the, the best player in this class so far for them, and a guy, a defensive tackle from Pennsylvania. And that was the same day they also picked up Yamir Knight, who really isn't a slouch. He's the number one receiver ranked by Max Preps in the state of Delaware. And then they got DJ Barksdale, a uh, defensive back from Rock Hill, South Carolina. So obviously... They've been busy, and then recently they got an offensive lineman, Cameron Jones, from West Virginia. So it's been a busy busy week and a half for Signetti and company, but, you know, the bass signals have been flowing, and the people have been following, and they've gotten a good class together so far recently. Yeah, you, <clears throat> you said it happened on the 4th of July. We started seeing, you know, the signals, <laughs> the, the social media tip-offs from Kurt Signetti days before that, and I know you and I were, you know, talking, texting back and forth, like when – When's the announcements? When the announcements actually going to happen? Because uh, I went two for three on that day, so I was pretty yeah. happy. Um, so, yeah. So, there's a little bit of, I guess, inside baseball on the process <laughs> where <laughs> these guys are actually committing. Who knows when? Uh, and then you know, getting everything in line to make their own announcements, videos, graphics, whatever, whatever it takes. Uh, having family in town for the holiday. <laughs> I don't know what all what all was involved, but. Uh, yeah, been a lot of waiting around for us the last couple of weeks where yep. we're pretty sure commitments are coming and then we don't know always who. <laughs> we, we have some ideas and we don't know when they're going to announce, so it's kind of just like on our toes, constantly waiting for that. Um, yeah, let's just talk a little bit more about these guys because, yep. like, obviously, you know, I was saying with Dave Rigger earlier today, when you look at the preview magazines for JMU this season, they they focus on JMU like they always get into recruiting and stuff. And there's a lot of just like a lot of unknown about JMU. A lot of their recruits are unranked by different sites and services and whatnot because people just weren't really paying attention to yeah. FCS recruiting. And so like you look at the Athlon magazine, it lists. For some of the Sun Belt schools, it'll list like their top four recruits, and they'll all be like third, three stars, <laughs> maybe, a, maybe a four star here and there, and everything. And for JMU, in the Athlon magazine, it lists four guys unranked. List them all unranked. You know, as excited as you know everybody is about you know Alonzo Barnett, knowing like that's a solid quarterback coming in. Like just from a recruiting standpoint nationally, as soon as he commits to JMU, they know he's going to FCS. Like they're just he just falls off the radar as far as like getting yeah. ranked and everything else. That's gonna look a lot different for JMU when people go pick up these preview magazines next summer where they've already got eight guys that would be listed as considered, you know, higher ranked recruits probably than this class that they have for freshmen this year. 
and that's not a knock on these guys. Like I said, there are reasons for that that you know really has nothing to do with how good of players they are. But it is probably pretty exciting for JMU fans to just look at that. It is a little bit something a little tangible to say we got this many three stars or whatever yep. it is. Um, these were the offers these guys had. Um, just how much different is this class going to be when it's all said and done? Because we've got eight. We're talking about eight commitments right now. It could get three it's times. Early. It's early. It's early. <laughs> you know, a lot of times, you know, we're talking about these guys coming to visit in the fall, and they're already kind of racking up commitments. So, what might be we be looking at by the time the December signing day comes around? I mean, when you look at this class, right now you've got one three-star defensive tackle as we talked about. And I think picking up a guy like D- Daryl, who, you know, a three-star guy had off, he had it narrowed down between Cincinnati, who just played in the college football playoff. He had offers from Northwestern. Virginia Tech was interested. A couple other big-name schools were interested in him. So I think his commitment could be like a, a table turner almost. I mean, this is a guy who could have gone the Power 5 route, had the offers to do it, instead comes to JMU now and, he may be able to lead a charge of JMU being able to pick up some of these guys from the Power Five. We talked with Kurt Signetti in January when they made the jump to the FBS, and he was talking about how you're going to start to see it with the class of 2023, and I think that's a prime example of that. And I think you could see a couple more guys like that showing up um, soon enough. I mean, they lost the recruiting battle to App State recently with the running back out of Richmond, but I think they're competitive. They were in their his top, I think, three or four. They're, JMU Howe is on his table when he committed, so... I think that's a good sign. And overall, I mean, he was a three-star guy. So, Jamie's in the conversation. I think that they they could pick up another three-star here or there. And I don't know. Like, I think that'll probably be, you know, a good thing for them. But, obviously, camp season is pretty much over at JMU. And that's where a lot of these guys kind of get their offer. Like, Ymir Knight, who came here a couple weeks ago, had a camp, was offered at the end of camp, committed on the spot. So, I think that is why we're seeing a lot of guys commit right now and we'll see more when the when you know august rolls around and, and then the game start to kick off in september and i hit on this a little bit last week when you weren't here but when you look at these when you look at this class so far eight guys several states you know going from the carolinas up into pennsylvania over in delaware and everything what's that say about what JMU is doing recruiting, where they're looking, what what they're targeting, that they're, you know, obviously doing pretty well in Virginia. They got a couple of local guys. They seem to do really well in Virginia when it comes to transfers, say, and they want to come home. <laughs> um, but when, when we're talking about the high school guys, what's that say that you know they kind of cast in that net geographically, where they're getting down into Sun Belt country a little bit, but they're still doing pretty well in the north where traditionally you know it's been Kirk Signetti's like you know, yeah. home, home area I think it says a lot I mean they've got eight guys committed from six different states or five or six different states I mean West Virginia most recently with Cameron Jones but I think you know recruiting you're gonna have the Sun Belt now its footprint isn't really you know it, it does go deep right you're going into South Carolina Georgia Alabama Mississippi you're, you're gonna be down there but when you have teams like Marshall now doing the Sun Belt Jamie ODU some about recruiting is going to go up, I think, into the mid-Atlantic like we're seeing now. Signetti's got the connections in Pennsylvania where he's from, and, I mean, they've done well there. They 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 go back to Delaware and get Ymir Knight, who his brother, two brothers both in college football, one of them, Wayne, a freshman at JMU, the other one at UConn. So I think they're going to hammer this mid-Atlantic region, and, you know, you're going to battle teams like ODU and Marshall, and they have. Marshall wasn't in on Cameron Jones, and they beat Marshall out, so... 
I think you know we'll see, we'll see them go south. I think a little bit, but overall, why why stray away from the the parts of the country that seem to work out for you? Yeah, and like like we were talking about <clears throat> that Pennsylvania, you know, central to western Pennsylvania. That's where Kirk Signetti is from. That's where the Signetti name means an awful lot, like to just anybody who falls football there. And I hit on this a little bit last week, but there's also a little bit of a void when it comes to that group of five level for all the talent there is in the mid-Atlantic it's really you know it's Jamie and ODU are in Virginia Liberty that's you know a different story with just their student profile um you got you got Jamie and ODU here now as group of five schools in Virginia where you know the south kind of becomes the north you know at some point um and then there's not much in Pennsylvania like no beyond there's power five schools in Pennsylvania but there's not really like a group of five team that's like dominating the scene there um so you see jmu you see when these kids list their top you know 10 schools or whatever you see jmu odu kent state buffalo marshall sometimes yeah you see all the same schools kind of like coming up for like a lot of talent that's you know maybe not quite power five level talent but there's a lot of those types of players available in you know not not Delaware as much but you know we're seeing Jamie you get a couple guys from Delaware Pennsylvania seems like it's going to be continue to be like a big area for JMU and an area where JMU kind of has an advantage over some teams it's an easy drive down to JMU the weather's a little bit better than if you're going north um like it seems like that's should continue to be a very prominent location for JMU to look for talent and do well recruiting against the teams they're typically recruiting against. Yeah, they they know who they're up against. I mean, there's not really going to be – you go north a little bit there and you're not going to run into a team you don't recruit against, right? We talked about it, you know. You've got a team like Marshall ODU and what you just mentioned. But I think, you know, with Sigdetti, he's recruited Pennsylvania before. He's had success there and, you know, he, he coached there for a while. So I think overall it's, it's a good step for them. And we've, they've already got two commits from Pennsylvania. They've got two from Virginia. And you mix in a couple other states. And I think that, you know, we'll see the trend – they talk about hammering Virginia, and you know, but I think Pennsylvania might be that number two state that they're really going to go after. And I mean, they talk about getting the surrounding states too, but I think that one is kind of different than you know. They have a guy on campus who is from California. I don't think we'll see too many California recruits, but I think overall, you know, this is a region that they can win recruiting battles in, and they've shown already that they've got it done. And you talked about you know Pennsylvania, you either got a team like Pitt. When you got a team like Villanova, there's really nothing in between. So I think that's why they can have some success there. Yeah. And we'll I'll now look down to the new Sunbelt region a little bit because, you know, Jamie's doing well in the Carolinas, like they always have. Um, they're getting kids from down there. There's a couple more from North Carolina that I kind of keep my eye on anyway that I feel like they're probably doing pretty well with. Um they're not going as deep in the South, maybe as I wondered if that would happen with the Sun Belt. I mean, there may be some guys come along, but you look at Atlanta being such a talent-rich area. Um, you look at Signetti's history. Uh, you know, <clears throat> coaching Philip Rivers out of Alabama at NC State. Kind of, I kind of wondered if maybe that would open some doors there, where he can just go down there and say, "Hey, look what I can do with quarterbacks and everything." You haven't seen that yet. Do you think that's something that's they'll kind of build on more after they've actually already played a season in the Sun Belt? Um, or will their recruiting territory not change that much where they were already kind of reaching down into North Carolina, especially? 
I think North Carolina is definitely a state that they want to hammer. I mean, there's a recruit out there who's got his whole top five is the Sun Belt, and Jamie's in there, and that's Anthony Bain. And I think they've got a good shot to lane him from Durham, North Carolina. But, you know, going down there to Georgia, I think we might see it a little bit this class, but I definitely think, you know, moving a couple of years down the road, they'll probably go down there because, I mean, you're battling Georgia State and Georgia Southern every year. You're going to play down there once a year because the way that the current schedule's set up. So I think there's a reason you can go down there and be like, hey, we're far away from home, but we're going to play at least one game in your state every year. Hopefully, if the schedule kind of stays the same of a home and away and situation like that, you, you're most likely going to play a game down there. And I think we'll see it. Maybe not this class, but definitely down the road. I mean, got Georgia Southern on the schedule. So. Yeah, and uh, Coastal Carolina also fits into that yep. mold. Like, you know, you, when you're recruiting these guys from down there, you can say, hey, look, you know, we might play eight games in your career where you're quick drive for your family like so that's that that's definitely something i wonder if we'll see a little bit more of but then there's also strong strong competition for oh if you go down in the georgia you're yeah for a lot of those teams you're you're recruiting against all these sunbelt teams and whatnot whereas like i said you know jamie and odu are showing up on the radar for a lot of the same kids that are north of here which i think that's something that both of those schools could probably take advantage of with you know there being some talent there, there's talent there, and there's talent in the MAC footprint. <laughs> where, like right now, I think the Sun Belt's probably like a little bit more desirable conference to play in than the mm-hmm. MAC for a lot of those kids for a variety of reasons, football and otherwise. No, I think it is. I think definitely the Sun Belt East, when you look at it on paper, it's it's probably one of the top divisions in in power and group five, group of five football. And I think you know they can win these recruiting battles against MAC schools. But we'll see. I mean, I think they stick to what they what they know right now, and that's North Carolina, Virginia, Pennsylvania, West Virginia a little bit, and you know, you, you stay there and you get the talent. There's good talent here. It's not like you gotta go far to find the talent. It's just a matter of winning it. Because I mean, some of these states you're competing, and you're you're not only competing against you know the, these other Sun Belt schools, but at some point you're putting your hat in the ring with some Power Fives and hoping that you get picked. Yeah, you you said Group of Five. How much longer? Will there be a group of five? What, what's you know, it could be you know by the time I go down to New Orleans in a couple of weeks, you know, we could be talking about you know like two mega conferences. So you know, I don't know, but I don't know. Re- realignment's kind of interesting because you don't want to see the group of five disappear, but at the same time, it, it could end up disappearing and turn into the FCS. Well, uh, it's going to be weird if if there becomes two mega conferences in the Power Five, and then all of a sudden, what where all these other schools fit in? And I think you know we'll see, but we saw. Uh, I forget what who in the SEC was saying it, but you know they want to do something with college basketball and eliminate the one bid leagues from the NCAA tournament there. So I don't know what's going on right now. A lot of ideas getting thrown around, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, I don't, I don't see that happening anytime soon. And I don't. I think there'll be probably two clear top two conferences when it comes to the SEC and the Big Ten. But one thing I think a lot of people forget is they don't only want to play each other <laughs> they, they need to have some Sun Belt teams and some other teams available to the schedule and that means keeping them alive in some form or another and keeping them in the same category as you yeah. in some form or another so I think that's something like as much as anybody everybody's talking about like power team power conferences and power two and mega conferences and splitting <laughs> off and everything there is you know if they if an SEC team only wanted to play SEC and Big Ten teams, 
they could have been doing that for for years. They they could. They set yeah. their own schedules. They, yeah, <laughs> but they don't. They want to play a Louisiana Monroe once a year, and you know, or maybe two of those games. I mean, you, do, you don't think Alabama doesn't want to play Southern Al- South Alabama or whatever, you know, yeah. or you know, or I Southern mean, Miss. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Alabama's playing Louisiana Monroe this year. Yeah, you know, Baylor, which is not in those power two comments, but you know, everybody's got their bye games. Those aren't going away, and like, you know, they don't want to beat up on each other that badly. That, <clears throat> and I think the same thing holds true for basketball and every other sport. Like, there's a reason Division One is the size that it is, and there'll be further divisions in one way or another. But I don't see it completely splitting off where, like, they're not ac- accessible to each other. It just doesn't really make any sense feasibly financially any other way whether they make it possible for a jmu or whoever to continue to compete at a high level and eventually make it into a college football playoff that that's another story i don't know 400 percent how that ends up working out but i do feel like the Sun Belt is probably in about as good a position as any conference of its ilk could possibly be in right now. Yeah, it expanded at the right time. I mean, they got the right schools that they wanted, and we're going to see what happens. But I feel like if they waited one more year, you may be in a little limbo of what's going to happen. So I think they expanded right at the right time and grabbed the teams they did. And, you know, we talked about all this realignment talk. I'm really looking forward to a game like UCLA versus Rutgers and, like, men's soccer on a random Thursday at 8 o'clock in New Jersey. But, you know, that's all, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But when it comes to the Sun Belt, though, I, like you said, they expanded at the right time, whether that was, like, when foresight or luck or I don't know exactly a combination of the two, they put themselves in a position right now where they can kind of sit back and wait and see what happens with all this other stuff. And I don't know, from talking to my own sources a little bit, talking or reading people that I feel like have very good sources at the Power 5 level, I feel like almost as much as... I'm paying attention almost as much to what TV networks these other leagues end up with as I am what teams end up in the Power Five conferences. Because I feel like between the combination of the two, there's potential for the Sun Belt to really come out of this with a strong group of teams and a stronger position in the ESPN lineup than maybe they had before, depending on what these other conferences do i mean have you kind of gathered that too like when you look at the overall picture do you look at it from a sunbelt point of view when you're seeing what's happening in the pac-12 i mean it's really just like fox or espn at this point of who's gonna make a bigger (laughs) conference but i don't know i mean like i think that you know you have a relationship with espn which doesn't hurt and can get you different things and i think that you know does the pac-12 really impact the sunbelt that much Hmm, probably not but here's where I see that happening, though, is right now, Sunbelt has a good relationship with ESPN, but they are behind the SEC, the ACC, part of the Big Ten package, part of the Pac-12 package, and really the AAC. They're behind all those schools in the ESPN packing order. But it's quite possibly that by the time this is all over, ESPN is not going to have the Big Ten anymore, not going to have, possibly won't have the Pac-12 anymore. The Big 12 could end up with CBS or something like that. They're apparently opening up negotiations with all kinds of stuff. 
I could see situations where if the Pac-12 starts picking off some Mountain West teams to backfill if they lose teams to the Big 12. If, you know, an SMU leaves the American because now there's opportunity in the Pac-12 or whatever, all of a sudden you're looking at a Sun Belt that's possibly the best group of five conference. You're looking at ESPN that doesn't have the same lineup of inventory of conferences that they did a year or two ago. All of a sudden, you know, the Sun Belt could be like maybe like the third or fourth most powerful or most important brand to ESPN. And that's where I see the Sun Belt being in like a really good situation to like kind of sit and wait, see if, you know, maybe some of these American conference schools have doubts about where that program's head, the conference is heading. And, you know, maybe in East Carolina or a UAB or somebody is like, we'd actually fit in better in the Sun Belt and the TV's money is just as good. I think the Sun Belt could come out of this realignment if things go the way they're kind of heading where the Big 12 takes a few Pac-12 teams, Pac-12 reloads with some Mountain West teams. I can see that working out extremely well for the Sun Belt, depending on how things go. Obviously, tomorrow could be a huge surprise <laughs> with something completely out of the water. Yeah. But from everything I'm hearing so far, like I could see things working out for the Sun Belt quite well if they just kind of sit and wait and be patient and see what's available. Yeah, it's a crazy time in college football, college sports as a whole, and I think, you know, we could be talking about this happening now, and then all of a sudden the Pac-12 could become the best conference in the world. I mean, you never know with these with these things happening. But, you know, yeah, I think that could be a case for Sunbelt. I don't know if the Sunbelt would want to expand again in the time coming, but yeah. I think it's at least a, it's an opportunity. <clears throat> well, I've written about this, and I think, like, the Sunbelt expanding only makes sense if they can get the absolute right teams. Um I don't think expanding by inviting Missouri State to move up from FBS or, you know, getting further into Texas or Florida or any of that makes a whole lot of sense. But if an East Carolina wants to join the East Division and fit right in with ODU and App State and JMU, I think that makes a ton of sense. If, like, a UAB sees the American as weakened compared to what they were joining and – there's, I think, five or six Sunbelt West teams that are within 350 miles of Birmingham. I think that would make some sense. And, you know, Memphis, obviously, would kind of be a no-brainer if they were ever available. They've got their sights set higher, but I feel like they could end up compl- very disappointed with how this <laughs> round of realignment ro- uh, They've got a works out. Coming. So, um, yeah, I think it only makes sense for the Sunbelt to look at expanding if they can get one of the two of the teams that are at the very top of their list. Yeah. yeah. Um, otherwise, you know, they're sitting pretty with the 14 that they have, and they can kind of just wait and see, you know, <clears throat> what ESPN is looking for from them in a year or two. Uh, but, yeah, like I said, whether it was a combination of foresight or luck or anything, things worked out pretty darn well for the Sun Belt comparatively to some of these other conferences that are really just trying to hold on right now. Yeah, I'd imagine Keith Gill, when he woke up that morning and saw all, all these moves happening, he probably was like, you know what, I'm feeling good about yeah. myself. And I think that, you know, he, they, Sunbelt added JMU, for example, for the reason of it was the right time and the right fit. And I think that, you know, the Sunbelt is very intentional on who they add. And I think that, you know, it it may have not been, you know, it may be luck, but I think at the same time they're intentional about who they add and where they add and when. So I think that, you know, luck plays in, but it also, you know, they're pretty, they seem pretty smart at, you know, figuring out expansion and, and what to do with that. Yeah. Before we go, 
we'll head over to the diamond just a little bit because I know uh, potentially big day for JMU coming up here. It'll this be a big day. Yeah. Um, so give me your draft preview. I, I know you've been working to try to get in touch with uh, Chase DeWater. Yeah. Nail, nail down the interview has been a bit of a challenge, but give me your update on his draft status, what to think about for the Sunday, and what else we might see in the draft when it comes to JMU. Yeah, I mean, Chase DeWater, obviously the, the poster boy for JMU baseball this year. He obviously didn't play as many games as they wanted him to. Just tons of injuries kind of sidelining him for most of the season. That could play a factor in his draft stock. I mean, I don't think he falls out of the first round at all. Um, I just think he'd go anywhere from 12 to 15 to the early to mid-20s. Depends on what teams you're wanting to take a chance on, you know, a guy like that. But at some point, you become too good not to take a chance on. And I think he's the kind of guy that, you know, he follows a little bit, and the team's sitting there, and they look at their draft board, and they're like, well, this is a guy coming to the year. We thought he was a top-five pick. So you could take him at 18, 19. You're, you're locking it in. So I think he'll definitely go in the first round. He'll be the first Jamie first-round pick in baseball since 2007, I believe. And he could become the highest pick if, you know, he's picked in the top where we think he's going to go. He'll become the highest pick from Jamie. But other things looking around, you know, that's on Sunday, the first and second rounds, as well as the comp picks. are on Sunday night, then Monday and Tuesday, the later rounds. And I think, you know, in a 20-round draft, Trayvon Dabney could see his name called. You could see a guy like, you know, Kyle Novak, you know. Some of these guys that are technically seniors, like academically, that are redshirt juniors, you know, they could they could see their name called. But a lot of these guys are ones that want to come back, but I want to see what would happen if their name does get called in the later round and if they think about, you know, do you want to come back and play in the Sun Belt, which is, you know, one of the top five, six best baseball conferences in the country, or do you want to, you know, start your, your career off in the minor league? So we'll see what happens, but I wouldn't be surprised if we saw one or two guys called on day three and, that would be a good thing for Jamie Baseball, trying to build its brand, and especially building a brand in the Sun Belt where you've got some of these programs that <laughs> absolutely you're going to have a bunch of guys get picked. Yeah, and that, I guess, was one of the major questions is a guy like Trey Dabney. Part of the reason there's a little bit of excitement and optimism for Jamie, even though they're going to be playing in a much top, tougher conference, is guys like him saying they wanted to come back, mm-hmm. they wanted to play another year, they wanted to have something close to a normal season before they were done at Jamie. Um, how much worry, or maybe worry is not even the right word because I think people would be pretty happy for him. But like, how how likely would it be for him to not come back to JMU if he does get picked in the in the later rounds? I'm not sure. I haven't talked to him about it, but I think that you know when you look at the later rounds in the MLB draft, you're not getting a ton of money, um, and that could play a factor. But he also did graduate, so at this point, you know. He could either come back for a grad school and then play another final year, or, you know, you just take your diploma and you say, let's go start my career. So I think it's honestly a toss-up if you get picked that late. You really got to think about especially if these guys have their degrees already, and it's just a like, question of do you want to come back and play in the Sun Belt and, you know, your coach just got a renewed contract, or do you want to turn around and start it off? And I think JMU as a whole probably would hope that some of these guys would come back. I mean, they've said they will. They've got a good core of redshirt seniors that will be coming back and that will be playing for them, and I think that – it's definitely what they are hoping happens because if you don't, then you're gonna be really young next year and playing in a bus off conference with a young team is probably not the best uh, best of plans. Yeah, and some of these guys have had really good summers for JMU. Yeah, um, which you know, not everybody pays a ton of attention to summer ball, but that was the breakout for Chase Delauder. That's when <laughs> he became Chase Delauder. Yeah, for first round draft pick. 
as yeah, opposed to Chase, Chase DeLogger, a pretty good CAA player. Um, and they don't have anybody doing that right now, but, I mean, it seems like, you know, something's happened in the last month that's improved the stock for Trey, Dabney. Mm-hmm. Um, or is, I guess my question, what I'm beating around the bush to here is, is the outlook for JMU improving as the summer goes along, seeing what some of these guys are doing in different leagues? I think it is. I mean, one of the question marks that people for JMU are wondering is, you know, pitching is going to be a question mark next year. Um, they have two starters that probably be locked in, and that third starter for Sunday's question mark. And I think a guy like Joe Vygatsky, who he's got an ERA under one as a starter in the Valley this summer. He's got a ton of strikeouts. He kind of struggled at times this year as a starter. They've moved into the bullpen. He came, he would come out in the seventh or eighth inning and pump 95. And it worked. But I think uh, he's a guy who's starting extremely well in the Valley League. And I think, you know, we saw this last year with Donovan Burke, who pitched in the Valley and really well as a starter and then became one of Jamie's top arms before getting hurt and I think that you know that's a guy that you could see really fill that void and that's probably the best summer um summer performance you got Tyler Muscar also in the Valley League also a pitcher he's coming out of the bullpen throwing extremely well he didn't really pitch much this year at Jamie so he'll become one of the top options at the bullpen or at least be used more than he was this past year so obviously the summer they want to use it for development, but you see these guys playing really well, and you think, well, okay, you know, we can start penciling some of these people in for moving them up the depth chart a little bit. Yeah. Um, well, anything else you got before we wrap this one up? I think we uh, we covered some good stuff. Yeah, last update is, you know, A.J. Davis is transferring from JMU, and the running back transferred from Pitt. So that leaves JMU with a whopping nine running backs in the running back room. <laughs> I think they'll be just fine. The depth there is, you know, Percy's there. You've got Luttrell, and you've got, Solomon Van Horst will probably be your fourth back. You've got Kalon Black as well. So they're a deep room. And I think that, you know, you do lose a guy who's got the power five experience, but I think it won't be missed too much. Yeah, the, the timing of that almost seems to indicate that, you know, some of these guys got back on campus. They're working out. They're doing everything. They've been through spring ball. Timing of this seems to indicate he's seen somebody who's made it known that they're <laughs> going to be getting carries. Any it's ideas? probably it's probably Latrell <laughs> Palmer because if you think about it, Percy's obviously the number one, um, just probably right on paper. And then you've got a guy like Kalen Black who played well last year, and then he got hurt. And then Latrell is playing hurt and almost rushed for a thousand or did rush for a thousand yards or close to it. So I think that that's probably the third spot is like when you look at it, running backs. You know, you're going to use probably two to three throughout the season, routinely. And I think that if you can't crack the top three, and it's you realize that and. I mean, a guy like Solomon Van Horst could be primarily a special teams guy, and he'll probably be cool with that because you wait one more year, Percy's gone, and then all of a sudden you've got an opportunity to get into the rotation. So I think that's probably the the main point on that one. Yeah. All right, well, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. Uh, you've been listening to the Purple and Bold podcast. I'm Shane Metland, and here with Noah Fleischman. Uh, we'll see you again next week.